Alrighty. So, Benjamin Morel, one of our uh, last books of this year. Right. Um, you know, off the top, uh, blatant summary. I think that that this was probably one of the more interesting books we've read this Agreed. year. I really uh, enjoyed that sense of you know you don't really know what's going on some of the time, and you have to really read and you know, try and understand and figure out, which is different to a lot of books. Right. I think, I mean, even though it being in that 90 to 100 page region, there's still so much information there that can be depicted in, you know, look at the themes and analysis of the entire book. And even in just a short number of pages, we got a ton out of it. So I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah. And uh, definitely uh, just off the top, remember, there's probably spoilers in here because right. this will be live. So if you want to read this, it's Invention of Morale by... Uh, Adolfo Bioy Casares, yeah. a uh, uh, Latin American author. Right. So uh, we're going to talk about that uh, and that influence a little bit later. Perfect. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. My favorite part um, of this book was that middle uh, section when he's sort of exploring the island. Yeah. And we don't really know, but the sensory like image of the island and his description of like the conditions on the island were just really like impactful for my understanding of the book and i get like you know towards the end we start to figure it out and that's pretty cool but i right. think that that middle section to where you leave some confusion it's like why are these people not acknowledging him and that yeah. type of thing i think one of the coolest things to see was um when our our fugitive finds the museum right mm. and he's there for a couple of days you know exploring the island and then he does see these people right as we further you know as we further read the book we understand that yeah. they're holograms and not yeah. real people but we see like there's extra life on this mm -hmm. on this island, and that was a super weird dynamic because we see just him being alone and him being a fugitive and you know running from the Venezuelan authorities, yeah. right? And then we finally see these people on this island, and I, I think it was really cool and it brought a lot of thought into um you know just the book in itself. Yeah, and I definitely think that did bring a sort of extra layer of you know these people continue not to acknowledge him, but why are they here? Because right. we didn't know that they were right. holograms at the start, but they were, you know, doing things. They kept, uh, you know, um, Faustine kept, you know, looking over the water. Yep. Uh, we had Morel and Faustine going on that walk. Right. Uh, you know, so so he could kind of tell that they were doing things, but he could never get their attention. And, yeah. yeah that, that was kind of interesting, especially that middle part where, uh, you know, he creates the, uh, the garden, like the flowers right. for Faustine and she... I believe they got destroyed because yeah. they weren't, you know, a part of that simulation. So of reality, right? Yeah, of that reality in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. I, I felt like the book in itself was almost a puzzle for the yeah, reader. That it definitely was. Later, got you know, put the places um, in the correct position, and and it was really cool to just you know go through the book and and apply the pieces one by one. So it's yeah. Cool. And on that uh, topic of. Um, sort of fake reality. I do have a quote here. Yeah. Uh, Today on this island, a miracle happened. Summer came ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, page 30, 34. Um, I would say this was probably the earliest indicator of that um, cycle, like that seven day cycle to yeah. where, you know, they mentioned the two suns and that there was the real sun and then that fake sun that's part of the simulation. And obviously when I was reading this early on in the book, I couldn't tell that. Right. right, and I'm sure you probably couldn't either. No, I but couldn't. I was just like, "Wow, summer came ahead of time. That's normal." But yeah. really, these sort of sentences, you know, that are predicting nature, that type of thing, which we have a couple of uh, metaphors and hints at that early on in the book, lead to that ending when we figure out, "Wow, this this whole environment is just a full simulation." That's a fantastic point. I I couldn't agree more. 
Um, to bring up another quote, um, it's getting, getting a little bit into the themes, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. of the book. Uh, I, I would love to look at a quote, uh, the real advantage of my situation is that now death becomes the condition and the pawn for my eternal commentation of uh, Faustine. I think mm-hmm. this really plays into maybe the ending yeah. of the book um, for Faustine to then become this prize, if you will, mm-hmm. of our fugitive. Because we see throughout the entirety of the book, he is wanting to get the attention of Faustine and all he wants to be is with Faustine, correct? Mm-hmm. And as we see the book move on, we see he will do anything that even could mislead him from his main goal of not being caught, yeah. right? To just be with Faustine. And this quote really brings up he, you know, an idea of he will do anything to be with Faustine. Um, I think that was really cool and even could play into the theme of love in the whole yeah. book, which we can go into later. Yeah. And uh, while I have a similar quote to that, um, said by Morel on... Um Page 127, yeah. I believe. Uh, I have given you a pleasant eternity. And that's yeah. during his um, sort of speech yeah, every week to those people. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of adds to the um, effect of, you know, when um, our main character, who we never really find out the name of, yeah. figures out that this uh, is a simulation, his first reaction isn't, you know, really... Um, that of a, a normal reaction, as yeah. I'd say. He still wants Faustine, even though he realizes that she's not real. And it's to a certain point where he does give his eternity to be in the simulation, um, right. which is kind of crazy. I mean, that reaction. Yeah, and, and I think you bring up um, Morel, and I think, honestly, he could be the most interesting character, even though we Definitely. don't get a lot of dialogue from mm-hmm. him. I think um, looking into his character and, and seeing the book through his perspective, we see that... This invention for Morel, he's he's considered or um, used in, in the term of a genius, right, by yeah. other people. And this invention, he is capturing people's lives, souls, if you will, as mm-hmm. it says in the book, in this simulation, right? And and we see um, characters even lashing out and you know re- retaliating against Morel and mm-hmm. saying, "Why are you doing this? I don't want to die," right? But as we see in this quote, "I have given you pleasant eternity." Yeah. He has no care or reasoning for anyone else's lives. He's doing this just for the sole purpose of the invention and of yeah. his philosophy of life, right? Yeah, and I think that, that I'm going to pose an interesting question here. Yeah. Um, does Morel, uh, to connect to a book we read earlier this year, does Morel think himself sort of like Victor Frankenstein? Yeah. Like he's that creator of life. Like he cares so much about science, you know, that personal aspect, that ego that's brought in, you know, we get such a short amount of dialogue, but I think that's really interesting to connect. That's a fantastic connection between two books. And I think he really does play a similar role to Frankenstein in that way, where they're both trying to create things and both trying to be, you know, one step ahead of the game, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's a great connection. Yeah, and that that goes into a perfect segue to our uh, discussion about AI, you know, pushing the limits of technology to where we don't really know... um, we don't know the edge, you know, uh, basic question, how long till we draw the line? Yeah. Like with this chat GBT, with this um, new artificial intelligence AI, especially for school and daily life, it's becoming increasingly more of a, I don't know, issue, but more of just a thing. Yeah. Everyone in everyday experience. So where do you think we draw the line? Right. I think as we mature, as this world matures, just in reality, and if we step away from the book even a little bit, um, it's getting harder and harder to tell reality 
from fiction, right? I mean, you see things like ChatGTP nowadays where you ask, you know, a simple AI generator a question and it spits out an answer in less than five seconds, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think to, to tie it back into the book, it's not wrong for our fugitive to believe that these people, these, as we know later mm-hmm. in the book, holograms, to be real, right? He has no perception of whether they are real or fake and yeah. how he builds this connection with an AI-generated um, character, Faustine, right, is mm-hmm. just shows us how real AI can become and how it can, you know, distort our reality uh, of, of emotion and, and real feelings. Yeah. So I think it's, it's crazy. And the way that it's, you know, growing and changing our lives is, it's, it's cool to see, but it's also scary in a yeah. way. And it, it gets into that. Another question is, you know, how does AI fill that human void? I yeah. mean, we saw that in the book with, um, with Faustine and his continued, you know, love and this kind of desire. Um, although, you know, he still knows that she's not real. And it, I mean, to tie it into our lives as well, we see, you know, increasingly connections being made over the internet. You know, people that, uh, you know, dating websites or people that will, you know, have conversations with people, strangers over the internet. But, you know, you're not building real personal interaction there. And that's seen in the book. That's seen in today's age. And I think that that's, yeah. that's one major effect that's drawing away from personal human interaction with this AI. A hundred percent. Definitely agree. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, speaking on that chat GBT, how do we think that that's going to influence um, students? You know what students, I mean? Students, yeah. Um, I think I wouldn't be surprised if some of the teachers at Ravenscroft in the English department have experienced some some cheating or, or some yeah. way that ChatTP has been used to a student's advantage. And that, I mean, it's crazy to think that a year ago, I mean, this wasn't a reality. Um, for me, it's scary because, I mean, we see how much information this this generator can spit out at us. Yeah. And it, it's crazy. And it, the way that it's growing is almost, you know, terrifying to yeah. me in a way. It's definitely terrifying. And I mean, one of the options for this project was to talk to ChatGPT. Chat I yeah. have a conversation, right, write, you know, a couple of questions and have it spit stuff out back at you. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy doing book reports, analyzing this book, I mean, you can just ask a question like, what were the themes in Adventure Morale? How does language play into Adventure Morale? You can ask that to ChatGPT and it'll, it'll give you an answer. You can get, it'll give you paragraphs if you want it. 100%. You know, and that's that's kind of crazy um, when we think of our real world invention of morale. Yeah. Could that be our real world invention of morale? To where we have so much fakeness in today's world with this AI to where it replaces human interaction to we get to a point where, you know, we don't care and we're desperately in love with Faustine. Yeah. So we keep going, you know, right. and that that's a scary place to where, you know, this book is starting to become ever more, you know, a metaphor for our life today. So. Yeah. And, and I, I love how you connected Invention Morel to our lives. And yeah. I, I would love to connect Faustine to um, Faustine to what's the right word? I would love to connect Faustine to an addiction or a love no, for something in real definitely. life. Yeah, I think how we see the fugitive love and care and idealize Faustine is something that we could do 
in real life, right? If we idealize sports, right? Mm -hmm. And we put that above everything, see how everything else kind of falls under the ring of Faustine and under the ring Mm -hmm. of sports, right? Mm -hmm. I just think we, we, um, we see a lot of connection between Faustine and something that we really deeply care about, not just a person or love, something that we just care deeply for, just like in real life. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, we can get into some, uh, themes here, but I definitely think that that theme of, um, illusion and sort of unrequited love that we see throughout the book is yeah. what we're talking about representing there. Did you see any other, you want to talk about themes of the book? Yeah. Um, I think greed, Definitely. greed is yeah. a theme. Um, if we come back to the character Morel, I think he had very little, um, care for anyone else's, you know, well-being. All he wanted was his invention to be put out there. And for his seven days or a week of work to, to be lived, you know, endlessly, yeah. right? That's what that's that's one theme I saw. Yeah. Another theme that I think um, is represented a lot is one of these conflict uh, themes we see, man versus society. Yeah. Um, definitely in his being a fugitive, as we've talked about before, he's outcast not only from the people on the island who are, you know, virtually not there, but society yeah. that put him on the island. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we have kind of a dual form of isolation here where it's mental and physical from society. And that's another layer the author kind of puts on this book to make it a fantastic piece of writing. Yeah, I love that point. I would love to segue into how the style of, of this book was actually written. It's Definitely. written in journal form. Yeah. Right. Um, it's written from the perspective of the fugitive. Mm-hmm. And it's not written from a third person perspective. I just wanted to see how you thought that affected the reading of the actual book? Was it positive? Was it negative? Why? You know, I think that um, another point to bring on this is that we never see the author's or the the character's name. The name, yeah. And that kind of adds to this idea, which I think you're getting at, is that there's a level of like um, impersonality, but personality at the same time, which is why I don't think that that's a simple answer to your question. I think that there's... um, could be positive and negative, but I think that that it's sort of needed to be written that way. Yeah. I don't think we could have had it written from another perspective because then we wouldn't have had that level of confusion and not knowing where we are and not knowing, you know, what's going on. I think yeah. that that's vital to the book and how it is. I found myself at times replacing that name, that blank with my own yeah. at times and, and that, comparing my own definitely. life. We talked about that in class and that, that right. makes the book for the reader, 10 times more impactful. I 100% agree. And that that is just, you know, that's done in a lot of pieces of literature to where you can, um, you know, with movies, you see the characters on the screen. It's hard to picture yourself. But in books, you you can, that's completely in your head. Yeah. You envision that. You envision yourself in that. And that is just a sign of a amazing piece of literature right. and um, something magical. Yeah. That does 100%. That I think, I think the author, um, Kasaris did a fantastic job with that. Couldn't, couldn't yeah. have read it better. Yeah. Yeah. And um, lastly, while we're talking about this um, author, um, the book, um, we read it in English, obviously, but it's original script was in Spanish. Yeah. Um, and this being from a descent of a Latin author. Um, I think that that is, um, really um, impactful to the way the book is expressed mm-hmm. um, and the way the translation 
kind of played with the wording and how we represented things. I mean, we talked about that in class, but I'm going to let you comment on that. Right, yeah. I mean, I think we definitely can tie this back to the three readings we had in class. And I think as someone who takes Spanish um, at school, it's definitely interpreted in different ways. The way that the Spanish language is read is almost backwards and completely inverted from the English language. And Mr. Karpowitz even touched on there are translators who wrote the book in English, right? And even how do their perception of the book influence how it's changed, right? Because there's not a direct translation from Spanish to English. Yeah. So that translator has a job of maybe putting a little bit of their own bias. Yeah, and that that translator, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, listed here, but um, I think that that also, as I mentioned before, sort of plays with the way the final, you know, script and understanding the book comes out because the every word in a novel, especially a novel this of this size, is impactful. Yeah. And when we did that um, sort of uh, judgment in class, we saw that there were three translations that we looked at, and they were, you know, had different aspects and different meanings um, throughout. So, um, you know, it's hard to imagine reading this book any other way. Yeah. But we had to realize it could have been written. Um, with different elements, themes, aspects, that type of thing. 100%. I agree. And I, I would love to even see how someone of, of the native language of, of Spanish, right, mm-hmm. Espanol, how they perceive the book. And if our perception of the book from an English you know, speaker, a native speaker, and, and a Spanish native speaker, how do those change and do they change at all? Yeah. Just just a, a really cool a cool way to you know give the meaning of the book to two different sides. Yeah, really definitely. Cool. Um, and obviously, I don't think we can answer that question because we yeah. are not native uh, Spanish Unfortunately, speakers. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, we can attest to the um, impactfulness of it translated into English. Yeah. And uh, we see that a lot with different books and how, you know, increasingly um, we're expressing this type of different multicultural uh, perspective and point of view. So I think that that um, is another amazing reason why this book was, you know, 10 out of 10. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I agree. Um, and, you know, kind of any any closing thoughts here? Um, what you really enjoyed about the book? Is there anything you maybe didn't like about the book? Is there, you know? Yeah, I think the level of confusion that I had in the beginning, you yeah. know, it, it led me to a conclusion that this book was going to be pretty eh, you know? Yeah. Not not my favorite, but I think with the, the length and size of the book, it did a fantastic job yeah. of putting an image in my mind and, and letting me put myself in the fugitive scenario. And I think the author honestly couldn't have written it better. And I, I am very glad that I read the book. Yeah, definitely. So that's a sign to uh, all the people listening. Um, stick with it. I mean, if you're on page like 15 and it. you're a little confused, it gets better. Stick and, with uh, it. It's a good read. So um, yeah, I think that's where we're going to wrap up for today. But um, final, final thought, I think, you know, definitely read this book it's impactful it covers all all the confusing thoughts inside your head makes you think um and the author does a great job representing the themes of ai themes of you know mixed reality in um which is still um impactful to our society today which is crazy to think since it was written you know uh like 70 years ago something like that so 1940 i believe yeah so that's that's crazy that it still has impact on us today yeah awesome book all right Thank you. Thank you.